In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. What a glorious, awesome weekend it's been for Father John, Mark, and I to be here with you and to begin this celebration on Saturday morning, celebration of the continuance of the church, uh, passing on the baton, as it were, continuing the life of the church by ordaining leadership to, to do basically three things in the church, and that is to teach, to lead, and to sanctify through God's Word and through God's sacraments. A couple things before I begin my message today. By the way, Father Jim and I have this running thing about homilies and sermons. You all know the difference. I think I told you the difference between a homily and a sermon, but memories being what they are. A homily is short. A sermon is long. <laughs> so to give you a, uh, an idea of what's going to happen today with me, is we're going to have a sermonally. <laughs> so it's going to be somewhere between a homily and a sermon. Uh, I'm watching the clock up there, but I can't see the letters moving, but that's okay. A <laughs> couple things before I begin. Number one, uh, is that this October is Clergy Appreciation Month. And uh, we need to thank God for our leaders. They stand in a breach for us. I think of all the Old Testament intercessors, Moses and Phineas, who, who saved God's people, who saved God's people from God's, uh, God's uh, judgment because they went, they went on their knees to God. They went on their knees and prayed for their people. So, Father Jim, I'm delighted to be your bishop. I'm delighted to have you as my vicar here. And my new deacon here, Father, uh, Father, yeah, deacon. Well, they do call, uh, actually in England, they call him Reverend Father Deacon. So, Reverend Father Deacon Wesley. <laughs> Let's just show them a great round of appreciation. Not only today or October, but every day, remember them in your prayers. They have a great and awesome responsibility. If you heard Father Jim's sermon yesterday, it's... Uh, to be a leader is not a title. Priest is not a title. Deacon is not a title. It's a task that we perform for Christ among God's people. Same with the bishop, too. The second thing uh, that I want to call to mind is that today is actually your patronal feast day. Today is the feast of Christ our Redeemer in the universal calendar of the church. And as John, Father John and I were coming up here today, we were talking about this being the Feast of Christ, our Redeemer. Uh, this is not part of my sermon, by the way. This is just a lucky strike extra. So, <laughs> as, we, as we were talking about uh, Christ, our Redeemer, we were reminded of some words in, 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 in a teaching that Bishop Fulton Sheen did. I'm sure you're all familiar with his wonderful ministry on television and doing retreats and all that, a marvelous teacher of the Christian faith. He said, uh, you know, he was, he, he was talking about people seeing, we, we talk about Christ our Redeemer, but when you ask the average person, he was talking about Christ our Savior, but if you can translate it to, you ask the person, average person about what does it mean to say that Christ is our Redeemer? And the fact is, they don't know. You need to be redeemed from something, and you need to be redeemed to something. And to honor Jesus here at this, uh, in this congregation, to honor him and have him as your patronal, as your patron in heaven, 
you have to continually realize what it is that he's redeemed you from. Peter puts it this way in his first letter, and I think it's a, a beautiful way because we need, we, we've, we're redeemed. We have a redeemer because we can't redeem ourselves. And Jesus is our redeemer, and he redeems us from three things. He redeems us from our sins. He redeems us from eternal death, separation from God. And he redeems us from Satan and all his powers. And then he redeems us to what? To eternal life. To a life of being forgiven, set free. Remember Jesus said, if I set you free, you're free indeed. So Peter puts it this way, and I'll just read this, and then I'll actually get into the sermon early. Let me see. Okay. Okay. Verse 18 of chapter 1. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. The redemption was accomplished, Peter says, not by paying a, a ransom fee in silver and gold, but the, the, the cost of our ransom was the precious blood of Christ. And today we have the privilege, the awesome privilege, think about it, to drink from the cup and to drink that precious blood that was offered for your redemption and my redemption. Such as silver and gold with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, for our sake. Jesus came and paid the price. So what a great day to be here and be part of this, uh, part of this celebration, not only of the ordination, but of our patronal feast day, Christ our Redeemer. To the Gospel. Jesus is telling a series of uh, parables, uh, as Luke reports to us. He's had, some, uh, he's had some encounters with the Pharisees, and then last week, you recall, he, ta he told a parable, but he turned his attention away from the, the, the audience, the crowd, if you will. And he turned his attention specifically to the disciples. And he, he said, uh, he told us what that, he, right at the beginning, he told us what was the point of the parable he was going to now teach us. He said, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That was the gospel last week. Jesus was teaching us about persistent prayer. Now, I'm not going to preach the message that God gave me for last week, but persistent prayer, to be persistent in praying to God, to not give up. And the reason we don't give up is because God never, God's love never gives up, never fails, never runs out on us. And so we should not run out on him. And last week I taught people how to pray persistent prayer. And just two simple things you might want to remember, and then we'll get into this week's parable. Pray until the hurting stops. Whatever the hurting, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whether it's relational, whatever the hurting is in your life. And we're all wounded in some way, either by our growing up, our our, our, our 
our maturing in life and the, the encounters we've had in life. Pray until the hurting stops. And then second point of last week's sermon, pray until the healing starts. When you know that God is touching your life and bringing about a transformation in you. Today's parable, Jesus seems to be turning a little bit away from his just speaking to his disciples, but speaking to the crowds which is very indicative of our, of our own time here. Because our, 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 t- our parable today is really, Jesus again announces the, the point of the parable at the very beginning. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. This parable is very important for us today because Jesus was telling a parable to those who suffer from the dreaded disease of narcissism. And it is a disease. Have you ever seen people do what they do today? People go to the Grand Canyon and instead of taking a picture of the Grand Canyon, they take a picture of themselves. And the Grand Canyon's a backdrop to that, but you can't see the Grand Canyon because they're all smiling there. <laughs> Even our president, our political officials, our, our elections, it's to get a selfie with Hillary or a selfie with Donald. This says something about our generation and why this parable is so important because Jesus is teaching us that that is not the way that Christians ought to live their lives. Self-centered, self-seeking, and selfish. Listen to what Jesus says. He, he, he describes two people who went to church one day. The Jews went for prayer, not only for the morning and evening sacrifice, which we imitate or icon in our morning and evening prayer, but they went to prayer three other times a day, at 9 o'clock in the morning, at noon, and at 3 o'clock. And any uh, pious Orthodox Jew who lived anywhere near the temple would welcome the time to go into God's house to spend that time with God in those three hours of prayer. And so these two men go to church, this temple, the place where God decided to reside among men. Jesus tells the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. We don't know whether they went at the third hour, the sixth hour, or the ninth hour, but they were there for the purpose of praying. And then he identifies the characters. And if you have ever studied Luke, Luke likes to tell the stories that Jesus told where there's a reversal. You expect somebody to come out as the good guy, and at the end he's really not the good guy. And uh, one of the great, thing, one of the great uh, uh, parts of Luke's gospel is the Magnificat. It's all about turning things around. The good guys are really end up being the bad guys, and the bad guys end up being the good guys in God's plan. So these two men go up to pray. One was a Pharisee, held in high honor among the people of his community, very uh, rigorous in keeping God's law, not only kept God's law, but kept many of the interpretations of God's law. I mean, they kept it down to the and they try to get everybody else to do the same. And then the other was a tax collector. In verse 11, Jesus says, The Pharisee, standing by himself, 
in the center of the court of Israel, all clothed in his rich robes, standing where everybody could see him. By himself he prayed thus. And the interesting thing is if you read the original language there, the word that he prayed, it says he prayed, he prayed pros, P-R-O-S, he prayed to himself. Narcissists don't pray, pray to God because they don't really feel they need, have a need for God. They can do everything by themselves. So here we have this Pharisee who's making a show of his prayers. Remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 says, when you pray, don't make a show of it because the, your reward is there in the, in the applause you get from people. But you won't get the applause of those nail-scarred hands in heaven for your prayers. And so the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed to himself. Now, he took a verbal selfie right here. He listened, listened to his prayer. Count all the eyes, the selfie. God, I, one, thank you that I, two, am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes. I lost one in there somewhere. There's supposed to be five there. But at any rate, four, the selfie didn't take very well there. But did you notice in the prayer, he didn't thank God for what God was doing in his life? or in his ministry as a Pharisee. He was thanking himself and saying to God, Hey God, you ought to be glad you have me. After all, I'm tithing to my church. I'm fasting twice a week. Now, I'm only, as a Jew, I'm only required to fast one day a year, the Day of Atonement. So I'm giving you 103 more fasts than you're asking for. And I thank you that I'm not like other men. You see, this man was doing something that, no, that, he, that God, God tells us not to do. He was, he was comparing himself to others. And he was going before the throne of grace, not to receive grace, but to give himself credit before God in his eyes. Now, I suspect narcissistic people are narcissistic, at least for one reason, is they feel they're pretty self-sufficient. They come packaged all, 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 all together, and they don't really need anybody or anyone else. Obviously, uh, from the prayer that Pharisee prayed to himself, he didn't feel any need to God to go to God and say, Good Lord, I need you. He was self-sufficient. He thought that all his works would find him favor with God. You know, there are a lot of people in the church today who still function that way, who still have operate under that, that philosophy. That I, if I can just be good enough, God will have to accept me. You see the reversal there? That's not how God operates. The Redeemer came to redeem us from something we could not redeem ourselves from. He paid the ransom price, the price of his own life. And we here sitting here today ought to be darn grateful for that gift. 
because he didn't have to do it, but he did. And so the Pharisee was guilty of comparisons. And by the way, in any relational counseling that you do, comparisons are often the problems between relations of people. We compare ourselves to one another. In one of the readings from Ecclesiasticus last year, the, the writer of Ecclesiasticus, Jesus ben Sirach, reminds us that we're not supposed to judge people by how they look, what they wear, how much money they have, or what kind of car they drive, or what kind of house they live in. He didn't mention cars because they didn't have them at that time. But at any rate, we have this idea we compare ourselves to each other. And I've had people say to me, and probably any of you who've talked to people say, well, I've never broken one of the top ten. I'm not an adulterer. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't broken any of the big ones. And you see what they're doing is they're comparing themselves to these other people, these extortioners, these unjust, these adulterers, or even this tax collector. You see, the only one we have to, we have to win favor from, and I mean those words, win favor from, is the Lord God himself. And we already have his promise that he'll do it if we ask him. Because he sent his son. And what does Paul say? He says, if God gave you his son, and his son was crucified and died that horrific death, and he bears the scars right into eternity on his glorified body, do you honestly believe that he won't, he won't respond to anything else that you ask him? And sometimes I have to say, yes, sometimes I doubt that, that he will hear that prayer. Well, the Pharisee prayed to himself, and he practiced comparisons. Jesus, uh, earlier in Luke's Gospel, talks about comparing ourselves to others. He says to us, judge not, these are the words of our Lord, judge not and you will not be judged, condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, in other words, an abundance, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, I wonder if the Pharisee knew that, if the narcissist knows that. For with the measure you use, Jesus says, it will be measured back to you. In other words, Jesus said, tell you what, I'll use the same criteria by which you're judging so-and-so over here. I'll use that same criteria on you. That judging of that little speck in that person's character, I'm going to use that judgment on you in the log in your own character, the beam in your own character. But that wasn't all for the Pharisee good man that he was, well, well upstanding in his community. He was not only guilty of comparisons, he was guilty of criticism. Notice how he spoke of these, not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now you have to know, Pharisees were upstanding people in their community. A tax collector was not. A tax collector was not allowed to hold any public office. 
The tax collector was not allowed to testify in court in any court case because they were considered untrustworthy. They were considered liars to the core. Many of the rabbis who wrote the commentaries on the scripture says everybody could be, uh, could be probably saved except tax collectors. It's a profession that absolutely gave you a one-way ticket to hell. Notice how Jesus then switches. So this, uh, the, the Pharisee is guilty of, of, of a critical spirit. Looking at everybody else as if they're imperfect and missing his own need for God's perfection in his life. And then Jesus takes our attention out of center stage where the Pharisee and all his robes is praying to himself nice and out loud to somebody say, now there's a man I'd like to be like. And then there's this tax collector. Listen to the words if you, if you try to get into the situation, you know, get into the environment. But the tax collector is standing far off. Probably what Jesus was describing here was standing in the shadows. Standing not in the court of Israel, even though he was an Israelite, but standing as one who behaved like a Gentile in the court of the Gentiles. There he is, standing in that place, ashamed to come into the light. And he says this prayer, he didn't even lift his eyes to heaven, Jesus said, but beat his breast, which is a sign of mourning. You might see your priest doing that during confession, okay? Sign of sorrow for sins. Might be something you might want to do also as an icon of, of your sorrow and ask your praying. He beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The sinner's prayer comes from that, huh? Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Here's another thing from the Greek. Now, when you go to a cocktail party, you have two things. Pros, the, he prayed to himself, and then now here's another one. In the Greek, they have definite and indefinite articles. In Latin, they don't. What he, this man said, according to the Greek text, God be merciful to me, definite article, the sinner. I'm the worst of all. Narcissists would never say that. But this man wasn't. This man showed two things here. He showed faith in God, in that he came to God and he knew that God was able to forgive him. His only question was, will he forgive me? And Jesus answered that in the closing of the parable, huh? He was repentant. And he showed faith that God can, is able, but his question was, I'm the sinner. Will you forgive me? I'm the worst of all. Now maybe some of you are sitting here and have some shame from some sins in your past life, some guilt that keeps gnawing at your character, thinking, I could never really shed that. Then this tax collector is standing in the temple of the living Lord in your place for you and for me.
God, be merciful to me, the sinner. St. Paul said, I'm the worst of all. Okay? We should be fighting with St. Paul and saying, no, Paul, you're not the worst of all. I am. Narcissist wouldn't do that. Narcissist would say to Paul, you're darn right. You are the worst of all. <laughs> say to Deacon, Wes Deacon Wesley, you're right, Deacon. You are the worst sinner I've ever seen. Father Jim. Bishop, you couldn't be a worse, there isn't a worse sinner in the world than you. But Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, the tax collector, the one who had faith that God can and prayed that God would forgive him, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified, just as if he'd not sinned. He went home. Can you imagine how his spirit must have leaped for joy when he left that temple? Knowing how God had, he had somehow encountered God who was not angry at him, but was forgiving him and setting him free from all of his past. And he went home justified rather than the other one. And then Jesus makes the final point. For everyone who exalts himself will be exalted. That's not right. Narcissist believes that. That's, a nar that's the nar narcissist creed. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he will raise me up. He will raise you up. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So, St. Augustine once told a story, uh, and I'll close with this. He was really pre he was preaching on the, 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 the Gadarene demoniac, remember him? And he was preaching on that passage, and it's always struck me, I, I love when I'm preaching about encouraging people to be repentant and for asking forgiveness. If you read the story carefully, Jesus gets into a boat, goes through a raging storm, goes to the other side of the lake, meets this guy that's, uh, that's uh, under the influence of demons, heals him or delivers him or exercises him, whatever you want to do, gets back in the boat and goes back home. And Augustine, and, and, and I too with Augustine, saying, he did all that for one person. And Augustine's point of his sermon was, if I am the only sinner that ever lived, God would have sent his son to be my redeemer. And that, friends, saints of God at Christ our Redeemer, is good news. Christ our Redeemer lives. So, I'm going to get in the car and drive all the way back to Salisbury. You're going to go home. We're going to leave church just like this tax collector and the Pharisee today. Will we go home any different because we've met with our Redeemer today? Will we walk out of these doors feeling that when we make our confession, God wants to and is able to and will forgive us and set us free. So good journey home, saints of God, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.